the optimal life. So, Robin, uh, I saw your topic, uh, the the things that you focus on when it comes to the mental health and uh, men's health and improvement and and the bullying thing, of course. And in today's Ooh. day and age, bullying is rampant. There's the online bullying, and everyone's always online. So it's a whole different thing, but I assume there's a lot of similarities. So take us back. When, when did this all begin for you? I know at a young age you were experiencing some things. Take us back. What what was happening? <laughs> well, for me, Nate, uh, my, my bullying started the day I went to school. And uh, my father uh, was the chaplain for the school, you know, the, the priest that covers the the souls of the children and uh, of course he represented authority and kids being kids they do love to stick one on the man so to speak and to take down anybody who represents authority and if they couldn't have a go at my father well they had a good go at me and it went from the day I started at school until I started to flesh out get tall and be able to really feel confident in myself to do what most young boys do, which is fight back. But uh, I had the extra set of handcuffs tied around me in the form of religion, which said that uh, you turn the other cheek, you run away. Those poor souls, they must be struggling. Don't hit them. Mm. And so, of course, guess what? They hit me. They hit me a lot. <laughs> and I just uh, eventually discovered that uh, I could fight back. I didn't have to listen to that uh, dogma and that I could actually defend myself and uh, keep myself intact, not just physically, but mentally. Because, of course, in those many years from the age of five until 14, you can imagine what a young boy begins to feel about himself. Self-esteem is destroyed. Any self-image that would have a young boy think of himself as a potential man, well, that was gone. And because as young kids, we, we tend to soak up information from our environment from the day we're born until the age of seven without any filter, I just believed I was just a waste of space. Wow. Not not meant for anything other than a punching bag. Now, would you go home at night and talk to your parents about what was happening? Oh, yeah. And they would tell you that because of the religion, that uh, these these other boys, are, are their poor souls are struggling, turn the other cheek and walk away. Well, huh. my father being a... A Church of Scotland minister was a lovely man, and I don't want in any way, shape, or form to denigrate him because he was just being him. Uh, he was from a, a professional family, but they didn't have any religious connections. So he was the first, and he believed in all of his heart that to be violent was just wrong, and therefore there wasn't a violent bone in his body my mother, on the other hand, she was a, a stronger soul in terms of she had a lot of very powerful religious beliefs about right and wrong. 
but she too had also had a history of bullying herself. So she was already a victim before even I started my journey into victimhood. Uh, so she said, I do remember, well, that's just how it is for people like you and me. In other words, suck it up and get on with it. And that's kind suck of how it up it, and get on with it. Pretty much. You're six, much. seven, eight, nine years old, and every day you have anxiety going to school mm -hmm. because you never know what's going to happen. You are the punching bag. Yes. You feel your self-esteem is is decreasing by the day, by the month, by the year. And uh, you don't want to be around. You don't want to be seeing these kids at school. You feel like your life's never going to change at that age. Oh, you were there with me, Nate. I can tell. I can understand. I was right next to you. So, yes, it's a, it's a profound thing. And I don't want it to sound like bullying is the, the special area for children. And it's all done in the playground. That was my specific experience, but bullying can happen anywhere and does. And I'm sure we'll look at that further. But in my own special case, it wasn't until I discovered that, and I hate to say this because it's so not politically correct, but on, on occasions you do have to use your fists in order to defend yourself as a young man. Violence. 100%. It's not something I recommend, but if you have no choice, you've got a group of people all standing around you saying, finish him off. Well, do you stand there just waiting to be finished off? Wow. So what I'm trying to understand, though, your father, while his intentions were pure and good and positive, uh, and he thought you said violence was absolutely horrible and, and unacceptable. Um, he didn't think that violence against you was unacceptable because it doesn't sound like anything was being done to these children that were performing the violence. I, th I think he could always see the other side of the coin. And uh, in a way, I've inherited that myself. Uh, I think what was going on with my father was that... Uh, he felt the pain of the people who were the bullies because there is a lot of pain involved in bullying. And so he himself had never actually experienced it and therefore had never had to deal with it. He was a very gentle man in, in all senses. And so the very art of fist, fisticuffs, for want of a better phrase, was totally alien to him. He didn't feel in any way, shape, or form able to advise me on that. So as many men do when they're confronted with things they don't want to deal with, he just clammed up. Mm. And so in a way, I was challenging him. I was challenging him to man up and defend me, if you want to call it that. And right. he didn't know how. And so I never learned how until I was older by watching others. It was a strange time. Has your father passed on? Yes, he's he's gone now, as, yeah. as has my mother. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I would be curious to know if he were able to do it again, and obviously we'll never know, but if he were able to look back and do it again, knowing that his son, 
his son's mental health, his son's well-being, his son's emotional state, these years, these critical years of 6 to 9 to 10, 11, are setting him up for the rest of his life. He can be scarred. He can be a changed person already for the next century of his life. And uh, if I if we don't do something to step it up, I'd wonder if he knew how bad it was harming you, if he would do it differently again. What do you think? I, I think he probably would, Nate. But I, again, I can only say that everything is right in context. Given the time, and we're talking the 1970s here now, early 1970s, and the concept of bullying really wasn't discussed. And if it was, it was discussed in the classroom quietly under, you know, under your hand. And uh, it wasn't something you'd admit to because men don't like to admit that somebody's overpowered them. And even I'm talking young boys here because there's this self-image of, you know, the Marlboro man that we all aspire to being. And when a boy is overpowered by another boy, it's shameful. And there is a horrible grinding shame that's associated with all of this, that you can't protect yourself. Some would say you won't protect yourself. And it, it just leads to a whole series of emotions and self-beliefs about yourself, which over the long term no longer serve. It just can be hugely damaging. And uh, I've just set myself up now to to really try and help people who, who've been through things like that in the same way I have. You experienced almost a decade of bullying from 5 to 14, as you mentioned. So what mm. happens at 14 years old that starts to change things for you? Quite literally, size and muscle and courage. Uh, I think also there was a change of mind that maybe my father and mother didn't have the answer to everything, mm. that maybe I could question things, maybe I had a mind of my own, and that maybe I should try and experiment. And I got to so tell that, you, let me just interject, Robin. That is yeah, not an easy thing to do. You've experienced 10 years of hell. And, and I could speak on this because I was bullied too as a child. And most people, to be quite honest with you, are in some fashion. Um, maybe not for 10 years straight, like what we're talking about here. So for someone like you at 14 years old to then say, wait a second, I'm done taking this crap. I'm going to go and give these kids that have been torturing me for years a little taste of their own medicine. That is an extremely hard mentality to come to. Mm. And I wonder what you attribute that to besides just how did you realize, hey, maybe my parents don't have all the answers? I, I wish I had a perfect answer for you, Nate. I don't actually have a an aha moment, but I just remember being corralled in a corner by three boys I'm just thinking to hell with this. What have I got to lose? I'm going to end up covered in blood anyway. Mm. And just thought, no, I'm going to show them that whatever I have, it's still there and it, it still hurts. So I think there was a lot of rage, a lot of anger, a lot of pent-up frustration that went into that encounter. And I think what happened was that I got a lucky punch and believe me, I don't like really talking about these things because uh, it's so 
politically not correct to talk about violence these days. But on the other hand, it was real for me. And I caught him. He fell down and he got the fright of his life because, of course, I was the boy that didn't fight back. Mm-hmm. And I think there was just a, a, a huge overwhelming feeling of, oh, we weren't expecting that. And all three of them, they stepped back. And you can imagine, you know, a lot of hype, shouting and yelling and things like that, but they didn't continue the the onslaught. And what so, was that feeling like in that moment, Robin? You finally take your first punch after 10 years. What was that like for you? I'm embarrassed to say it, but I th- I got a thrill. I got a thrill because all of a sudden I has stepped into my power. Finally found my cajones, <laughs> for want of a better phrase. And they had been crushed for so long. And it, it, it really was an emancipation. It, it was at a just a moment of realization that I didn't have to put up with this any longer. But the damage had already been done, Nate. And that that glorious moment, if you want to call it that, was short-lived. Because then as we grew older, we became more aware of our potential for damage and therefore being reported to the police because of course as you grow older then you have to become responsible for your actions as a lot of young men have found you know who are now in prison and so i then entered the workforce but i entered the workforce with a feeling of vulnerability and that is really a, a massive part of how bullies chew their choose their victims. They look for the low-hanging fruit, the vulnerable people, the people who will not demand too much energy of them, will not demand them to take any risk of any significance. And as people, I see people, I, I mean men and women, but I know about men specifically, so I'm going to talk about men. Men give off vibes. They give off energy, and it's body language for for everybody else. Uh, And vulnerability is made so obvious to other people that people can read you, especially those who are well-versed in the art of using their power and leverage over you because if you've done it once you've done it hundreds of times you're a master at the art of manipulation and so you recognize people who are vulnerable and won't say no or they won't fight back or they'll just accept the the nonsense that you give them and so I found myself in various situations in employment where I became the the fall guy for other people's misdoings because it was easy because I wouldn't fight back. Mm. And they knew that. You were living in that same loop. You were going back to where you were as a child. And and there's the irony, Nate. I mean, most of us, 
are just seven-year-olds going around in Armani suits. <laughs> I don't wear an Armani suit, by the way, but um, that's the way of it. We're carrying all those old beliefs and feelings from when we were so young or when we had those life-changing events and traumas imposed upon us, and they are deep within the subconscious. And by the very definition, you don't know they're there. So you go to work full of the joys of spring, doing your thing, and then somebody comes along and says, you need to be doing that. Well, that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. Well, you're going to do it because I'm telling you to do it. And um, your natural response is to go, well, okay. Because you know there's an implicit threat because there's always an implicit threat. Robin, before we go, with, keep going there, I'd like to go back to that day where you punched those kids and you mm. stood up for yourself at 14. Yeah. A couple of things. One, you said you lost or your cojones finally were discovered because they were crushed for years. I also think that that was your soul. I think your soul was crushed for many years. I think you're probably right. And you were discovering your soul uh, that in that moment. I think something else that probably happened to you after you did that, while you felt a rush and a high and you were happy for it, do you then start thinking to yourself, uh-oh, now I've got to deal with my dad? Oh, absolutely, yes. So you're living in this high for a, a brief moment or two, mm. and oh, then and you... reality sinks in like, ooh, now i got to go talk to the boss. Mm. The boss who has told me don't ever get violent with anybody, no matter what. Yes, yes. yes. How was Absolutely. that for you? I didn't tell him. <laughs> I kept it to myself. Yeah, and that was it. You just moved on. You never. He never knew about it. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So but, then you get into your adult life, and then the, the you're living in the loop is happening again. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you recognize? Hey, I, I've got to get out of this because now you're in the workplace. Like you said, you're yes. not going to now go punch somebody. That's not the way you handle yourself in, in mm. an adult environment. How did you prevent yourself from being taken advantage of or bullied as an adult? Well, I didn't. That was my problem. I went in there like a lamb to the slaughter. What uh, were they doing to you, Robin? What are some examples that they were doing? Well, uh, this. I don't want to go into too much detail because uh, big companies have legal departments, uh, powerful lawyers, but uh, there was an occasion where a colleague of mine got very drunk uh, in the presence of customers and also a very senior member of the company I was working for at the time. And uh, it it, uh, didn't develop too well. So, I was one of the sober ones and has said to everybody, I think it's time we all went to our respective beds. It's time to go. Let's go and uh, start again another day. Now, I left uh, my colleague and uh, the senior member of the company in the hotel bar. And so the next thing I know was having said goodnight to the the, the customers, the uh the colleague was uh, seen running out of the bar, covered in blood, and uh, the hotel manager was hanging on to him, and lots of shouting. And so to cut cut a long story short, um, my drunken colleague 
had taken this senior, also drunken uh, senior member of the company, into the bathroom and smashed his face off the sink. And not just damaged his nose, but damaged his face. It was big, big, big pools of blood and not a nice place to be. So the long and short of it was there was a, an inquiry internally in, in the company, as you can imagine. And uh, I got away with uh, just a, a warning because they could. But then what happened was that um, the word got round that, uh, well, they couldn't fire the salesman that I was working with because he was too good. He was one of their best, but he also had a terrible drink problem. So somebody had to go. So who else was there? Well, me. And as I've said to you before, you give off vibes. You give off the idea that you won't fight back. And so if I had been the person I am now, I would have got lawyered up. I would have had a stronger voice, uh, a better poise, more confident gait. But as it was at the time, I got angry. And of course, they just put the blame back on me just by association. And so I left the company voluntarily. So they didn't have to do anything other than just say goodbye. And that was that. But afterwards, of course, I felt like a complete fool, shameful, guilty, angry, whole lot of corrosive emotions. It brought you right back to your childhood. Oh, yes. It brought you right back to those dark, buried, painful memories. Absolutely. And you're going, Here I am again, a grown man, and I am again the victim. I am giving off an energy. Uh, I'm the path of least resistance. Bullies yes. love the path of least resistance, as you said. Absolutely. If Absolutely. they know that you are the least resistant path, you are the target. Very much. The more resistant you are, the less you're the target. And that doesn't have to be just bullying physically. That could be corporate bullying, as you pointed oh, yes. out. Yes. Very much so. And then there you were. So that had to that that had to be when you hit that moment and you're back home and you kind of just folded over for these folks. Hmm. That had to be somewhat of an aha moment for you. No, Nate, you'd be amazed how far men will go and put up with stuff until they're prepared to say enough's enough. I know I went on for maybe another 10 years before I actually, shall we say, dealt with it. And I dealt with it by going into a major process of depression. And I couldn't do my job, which was at that time an airline pilot. I got taken off the, off the flight roster and I uh, went through all different kinds of therapy. Were you having anxiety attacks during flight? No, thank God, no. No, no. The one thing I want anybody who's listening to this to understand is that any pilot is one of the most self-aware people 
that you could meet because you're constantly monitoring yourself all the time because you know the impact that being in any way, shape or form less than 100% is going to have on the day. No, the sense I got to tell you, this is a ran- this is a random thought, but I'm uh, piggybacking off of that. Hmm. I'll never forget. This was a couple of years ago. I'm flying through the airport and the captain or at a layover and the captain of the flight is on the call with his, it sounds like a, a girlfriend, a wife, whatever. And, you know, fuck this, fuck that, you bitch. I mean, this is the captain of the flight. I don't think he re- recognized. Talk about lacking self-awareness for a few moments. I guess that's what a woman can do to you. But uh, he had no awareness. We're standing there going, oh, my gosh, this is the guy that's supposed to be flying our plane. What if, what if the, you know. So we actually said something. We went up to the gate agent and we said, hey, the flight – we're not trying to be paranoid. We're not trying to make things be dramatic, but um, the the captain of the flight that just walked on seemed to be pretty hostile and pretty upset and agitated before getting on this plane. Mm-hmm. And they actually went and talked to him, and then he came out and said he's happy to talk to us. And it was just a brief moment, but I, I just it reminded me that that being an airline pilot, where people's lives are in your hand daily, yes. that's got to be a tremendously a tremendously stressful position to be in, I would think. It is. It is stressful. But it's something that people who train to be pilots accept as part of their, what shall we call it, journey. Um, we, we consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to sit in the best seat in the house in the airplane. And you know that with that comes responsibility. And you, nobody, not one pilot do I know would mess with that. And so can I suggest to you, Nate, that that person that you were listening to would put the phone down and just shake it down, shake it off, talk to his colleague and say, right, you can see what just happened there. Sorry, man. Sorry you had to hear that. But at the same time, we're now getting on with the job and you flick a switch. And that switch, you were unable to start flicking as quick. When you say you went into a depression and that you had a step away, did you realize that that switch was not easy to flick for you at that point? Yes, sir. You did. Yes, absolutely. You, you have a, a very strong sense of self-awareness and also responsibility and so you just say, no, I'm not doing this. And so there, therein lies another story because, of course, companies don't like it when you take time off sick, mm-hmm. especially when they're paying you when you're off sick. So it's a hard thing to do to stand up for yourself when you're also not feeling at your best. And therein lies yet another tale. When you're not well, when you're weakened, and you do the things that you need to do, the right thing, not everybody accepts it as being the right thing. So you have to have courage of your convictions. And it's a a subtle irony, of course, that before I joined the airlines, I... I was somewhat anti-union, if I'm honest. 
Well, let's just see. Within a few weeks of having joined the airlines, I joined uh, the British Airlines Pilots Association, and I'm jolly glad I did. So there's there's a lesson there that sometimes people who are vulnerable, they need help. They need a white knight. And they have arrived on occasions for me, either in the playground or in the company or in the form of a union rep. And they, they are out there and they are part of the play of our life. The, there are so many actors in the play of a bullying scenario and it, they're, they're fascinating. Not all people who watch a bullying event are themselves bad, but it somehow triggers things in people to watch an act of bullying. And I, I talk about it in great length in one of the courses I've created for, for, for men that have been bullied. There are so many actors in the play, and, and some of them are women. Women are a fascinating part of the bullying process because women have a very interesting reaction to seeing men under pressure. And uh, we could talk about that uh, probably with a glass of beer <laughs> in our hands at some Maybe point. that'll be our part two, uh, Robin. We could do that yes, next indeed. time for sure. Indeed. So when you go into this depression, this was this like the rock bottom moment for you in your adult life? Yes. Yes, yeah. it was. Okay. Because that- you judge yourself terribly. It's well, uh, what I've learned over the years in talking to many people that you quite often need a rock bottom to really turn things around. Oh, quite. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you don't hit that rock bottom and you kind of just keep your head above the water, it's okay enough to just continue to skate by like this. Yeah, maybe I'll deal with some bullying. Maybe my self-esteem won't be great. My relationships with others won't be will be affected negatively. Uh, there's a whole host of the, but but my head's just enough above water where I'm I'm co- comfortable enough to get still get by, and then you hit a rock bottom moment, which makes you realize that all those things that you had that cozy thought you had in your head was a fallacy, Ooh. and you need to make some real extreme changes if you want to live a fulfilled and happy life. Oh, absolutely, Nate, absolutely. So what did you do, Robin? What did you do once you started? How did you start turning it around? Well, the first thing I did was I went into therapy and uh, CBT. And if I'm honest with you, I didn't find it terribly satisfying. When you say CBT, Uh, that's cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy, yeah. Chat chat therapy. Right. Talk therapy, chat therapy. I think my problem was I wasn't letting my therapist through because I do love to banter. I love to have a joke. And so everything that would come up, which was sensitive, that would bring a tear to my eye, I would deflect with a joke or a an ironic comment. And that, of course, just wasted everybody's time never really got to the crux of the matter. And it wasn't really until I think the 
therapist just got fed up with me <laughs> and said, right, okay, well, we're going to try something different. And they tried hypnotherapy. And um, that that was a bit of a shock to my system because it brought back a lot of those feelings that I had crushed for so long. And I was able to link those feelings to what I felt in the playground to those exact same feelings that I had experienced in my suit, in the big company, confronted by people with much more authority than I had. And it all began to fall together. And it's just provided me with a bit of an, an insight. And I think that that's what's so important for guys generally, people generally, is to understand themselves because from self-knowledge comes such great power because we spend so much time blaming ourselves, beating ourselves up, finding reasons why we're negative and bad, only to finally realize that, do you know what? You're actually quite normal. If, if anybody else had been in those situations with your, you know, the baggage you were carrying, they would probably have done exactly the same thing or behaved the same way, or thought the same way. And so that was when the healing started. And I started to then feel able to maybe spread my wings again. But from there, it took an interesting turn, because I didn't feel I was really getting much support from my family. Uh, my uncle, who was a, a doctor, actually denied that depression was a thing. And I thought, okay, so that's I'm not going to get any help from you. <laughs> um, others in the family listened to my uncle and therefore went along with him. And I think in many ways it was a, a kind of nice handy thing to hang their hatred on. I think there was already an underlying undercurrent of frustration with me for one reason or another. So... I decided to emigrate. And so that then led on to a new part of my life. And I went over and lived in, in Italy for six years. And that was an interesting time because I thought it was going to be an escape from my problems. <laughs> and actually, all I did was I took my problems to Italy. Because mm, wherever you go, there you are. That's exactly it. And the, the, the problems I had then morphed into slightly different issues and developed into my relationship. And so cut a long story short, April 2020, COVID kicks in and uh, airlines basically start to stop flying. And I was working for an Italian airline at the time. And of course, the foreigners are the first to go. So I went. And then my lady at the time said she wanted a divorce. Uh, you may have heard of the effect of Brexit, uh, but of course at that time that meant that uh, Brexit had just kicked in. I, I didn't have a, a work permit, so I would have to uh, find income elsewhere. And uh, then my mother died. So this was all within the space of about three months. Mm. And so I, I survived in that house with my less than happy lady uh, we lived at opposite ends of the house 
and I got more and more frustrated with myself. And so I bought myself a punch bag. Best thing I ever did. Went down into the basement and punched the living hell out of that thing. And I would put on rock music to give myself that extra bonus. And the irony was I was listening to YouTube, and on that YouTube video came an advertisement for hypnotherapy training. So after I'd punched the living daylights out of this uh, punch bag for half an hour, no, I'm lying, 15 minutes, um, <laughs> I came to the conclusion that the universe had given me a bit of a sort of pointing finger. In other words, be a hypnotherapist. And I thought, you know what? That sounds so good. Yes. Let's have a crack at that. Because ironically, Nate, at the time I went through that depressive state, I also felt that there was something in my life I wasn't doing. That little nagging doubt of uncertainty that made me think, but what is it? What is it I'm not doing? So just before I, I was made redundant, I, I became a life coach and signed up with the Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway organization. It's the old book from the 1980s by Susan Jeffers. And it gave me an opportunity to, to deal with people on an emotional level in a way which I never had done before. I had tried as a captain but uh, they don't really like you talking about feelings and emotions too much in the cockpit. So uh, that was my first opportunity to, to deal with that. Beautiful. So and, that's that, and that's your, that's your consultancy uh, coaching firm. One small step. One small step. Hypnotherapy is my hypnosis uh, organization. Uh, but my, my initiation came in the form of life coaching, as I said, mm -hmm. What exactly, just briefly, uh, uh, as we're getting close here, but what exactly sure. does the, what is hypnotherapy and what exactly does it accomplish? Well, the idea is that we need to find out why it was that you created a belief that no longer serves you. And so for me, for example, my belief was that I was a piece of the proverbial brown stuff, not worth anything, had nothing to say, nobody would listen to it. Definitely not number one. And um, a whole bunch of other things that go with it. But a lot of these things might be obvious to other people, but they're probably not obvious to you because you're too close to it. They're also subconscious and therefore, by definition, not available to you. And so in order for us to find out what's going on deep down, we need to lift the veil between the conscious mind, which is the one we're using now to talk, and the, the, lift, the veil lifts up and we talk to the subconscious mind, which is where all the deep stuff that drives you every single day is held. And it's fascinating what people hold in that big Pandora's box. And it's not necessarily the things that you think would cause the problem that actually do cause the problem. And so that's what hypnotherapy is all about. It's simply a lifting of the veil. It's a tool. But what really is going on is you're just asking the question, where did this come from? Why do you think that? Show me evidence that what you believe is true. And once you've come to the conclusion that it's not, let's talk about fixing it. And that's what I do. And I love it. 
and particularly with guys, because I think guys really need an extra helping hand in this present day and age. Well, when you're helping people, Robin, not only are you helping them, which clearly is what's occurring, but you're also helping yourself too. So you get the double whammy. Oh yeah. Right. Cause you're able to then, this is therapy for you, even though you're providing the service, this has got to be somewhat therapeutic for you to as well. Oh, without doubt, Nate. And and you'll find that most people who find themselves in caring professions have been hurt in one way, shape, or form. And because they have been hurt, they feel the pain of others. And they get angry when they see that. They want to fix it. They want to help. But you see, it took me many, many years to get the get the energy and motivation up to actually do something about it. But that nagging doubt that I was telling you about when I felt depressed, I realized what it was now. It was this desire to have an impact on the world, which was more than just ferrying people from A to B. It was to actually stop complaining about the world and stand up and be counted and make it better. Mm. So that's what I'm trying to do every single day. Some days are easier than others. Uh, Some clients have bigger problems than others. But overall, I find that hypnotherapy is a fascinating area and I could talk about it all day. So what can I tell you? Robin, did you ever forgive those childhood uh, bullies? (laughs) yes yes indeed I did and I'll give a shout out for one in particular I I won't give his name because he'd be embarrassed but there was one guy and I didn't know it at the time but his family was falling apart there was no male influence at all Uh, and the only male people that he came across were in the street and so he became, shall we call him a thug? He was a very angry young man. But then he went into the submarine service. And that changed him. It gave him the sort of father figure that he'd never had. It gave him discipline. It gave him a group of brothers and sisters to, to love and to love him. And I met him in the street Oh, many years ago. And I and I initially thought, oh, phew, I think I'll walk on the other side of the street from him. And then I thought, nah, go and talk to him. He's a human being still. There was still part of me didn't think he was a human being. Just thought of him as, well, you can imagine. But then we had the most grown-up conversation. It was wonderful. And I truly, truly... I really respected that guy. And now we're not exactly best buddies, but at the same time, whenever I do take a visit north up to Scotland, I'll occasionally meet him. And I think, great guy. Wow. I'm so glad that you finally found the way forward in life so that you could find the, the good parts within you the parts that had never really had a chance to come out. 
That's incredible. One of your childhood bullies, somebody that used to keep you up at night, uh, is now an acquaintance or a friend in, in some respect. And, and you guys seem to have some form of communications in your adult life. That's correct. That's correct. You forgave um, your you, you forgave your childhood friends. And that so now I want to ask you this. Did you forgive your father? <laughs> yes, of course I did. Well, why would it be of course? No, there is no of course. But the answer is yes, I did. Because I I understood the context that my father lived in. And had I you know, stood in his shoes, would I have been any different? No. I would have done exactly what he did. I think I have no anger or resentment towards him. Had things been different between him and I, I would probably be a very different person today. But in many ways, I'm better for that because I'm doing what I'm meant to do now. Maybe had I been a tough, self-confident guy, I might have not had an opportunity to sit and talk to you, Nate. Who's to say? So, yes, I forgave him, and I'm glad that things ultimately worked out. It, but it takes it takes effort, and that's where I come in, because I want to provide the motivation to men, other people who are struggling. You need a bit of that. It's amazing how the early years in our lives truly can shape the rest of our life for decades, decades, and decades. As you said, people have a Pandora's box of things that they've buried inside. They don't even know what it is. They don't know what is causing their heartache, their troubles, their traumas, their issues. And it's things quite often that they're carrying from early childhood. Very much so. Having Very an impact so. like that. One small step, uh, hypnotherapy. Where can people, Robin, find you? Uh, website, online, etc. They can find me online at robinferrier.co.uk. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and uh I'm sure there's a few other things that I'm on that I can't even tell you about, but those are the main ones. And you offer hypnotherapy services to anybody, wherever they may be in the world. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, because the joy of Zoom is international. And uh, I have to say that I have met some wonderful people in different countries of the world, but they're all going through the same brown stuff. Yes. Uh, we will link it up in the show notes. Anyone that's interested in learning more about Robin and his company, just click a link and you could find him there. I do have one final question for you. Yes. Somebody's listening right now. They're going through it. Maybe they went through it as a kid. Maybe they're an adult now. Maybe they're a young kid now. Maybe they're a teenager. Maybe they're in college. Who knows? Wherever they may be, they've experienced bullying or still currently are experiencing bullying. What advice do you have for them? You're not a victim. You never were. You have the power. You just need to find it. But you need a white knight. And sometimes they come in different forms. Could be a therapist, could be a friend, could be a family member. But confide, talk. Being a man doesn't mean that you're uncommunicative. Showing that you have a vulnerability to another person is not weakness. It's strength. 
but just choose the right person. Beautiful. Hey, Robin, thank you so much again for the uh, incredible insight here today. Pleasure, Nate. Been a real pleasure. Thank you very much.